We're back in our study of Ecclesiastes this morning. It is an Old Testament book of wisdom literature that helps us to live wisely in the world as God's people. And one inescapable part of our world is authority. That we are all under some kind of authority. Children, you are under the authority of your parents. Students, you are under the authority of your teachers. Employees, you are under the authority of your bosses. And citizens, you are under the authority of your governing leaders. And all people are under the authority of Almighty God. And the eighth chapter of Ecclesiastes shows us how to live wisely under both these earthly authorities and our heavenly authority. And so if you would, I'd encourage you to open your Bibles or the bulletin, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We're going to be looking at the whole chapter at 17 verses this morning and looking for wisdom on living under authority. Let us hear the word of God. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity, and I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. 
when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You speak truth to us. That it is never mixed with falsehood. It is always Your clear truth. And so we pray that You would make Your truth clear today. That You would speak to us, O Lord, through Your Word. That Your Spirit would open our ears to hear and open our hearts and minds to receive Your Word. God, use me in spite of my own sinfulness and weakness and inability to find everything out. Help me to faithfully proclaim Your Word that we might hear Your Word and so worship You through living out what You tell us to do. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, the topic today is really authority. And the the big question that I want us thinking about as we go through our passage is this. How do we live wisely under the authority of our imperfect earthly rulers, knowing that there is a patient, righteous God who perfectly reigns over them? So how do we live under this earthly level of imperfect leaders, knowing there is a higher level of God's perfect yet patient leadership. But before we even get to that specific subject of authority, verse 1 is just kind of like, hey, here's a fun truth about wisdom. And here's what we read. Who is like the wise? Who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. And you read that verse and you're like, man, wisdom is great. And it is. Being wise changes your whole life. It changes your face, your outlook, the way you see it and the way people see you. And so you read verse 1 and you're thinking, man, if only I could get wisdom, then I would be able to choose how to live my life well and I would be blessed. And then verse 2 is just this big old wrench in your plan for living wisely. Keep the king's command. And you're like, oh yeah. We don't always get to live how we want to live. Sometimes we're told what we must do and must not do. And though we are called to live wisely, we are also called to live wisely under authority. And um, we don't always like that. We really don't. We live in a fiercely independent culture that despises and mistrusts just about all authority. We don't like being told what to do. We prefer to follow our heart and be true to ourselves, to be our own boss, the captain of our own fate and destiny. And yet here we are in the Bible told, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. That in God's sovereign wisdom, he has established the leaders of the world and they have a delegated authority from him. This isn't just an Old Testament thing about Israel's kings. We see it in the New Testament in Romans 13 that Paul writes to people living in Rome under the Roman Empire and Caesar's reign that they are to submit to their governing authorities because God 
has appointed them. That governing rulers are part of God's good design for the world, and God commands His people to wisely submit to these authorities as an expression of His rule. And as we read in Romans 13, these governing authorities are meant to uphold the good and punish the bad. In fact, they are paid taxes so that they can do that well. And we are told this is a good thing that God has established, even if human authorities do this imperfectly. See, God knows that no earthly ruler perfectly upholds justice, and yet Paul is still writing, submit to the governing authorities. He still wants us to humbly obey our governing leaders because he has appointed them for our good. It's right there in Romans 13. Governing authorities are appointed for our good. And it's at this point I almost want to hide behind the pulpit and hope it can protect me. Because I imagine most, if not all of you, are locked and loaded with your yeah buts. That you're just ready. Your finger's on the trigger and you're like, I'm, I'm about to fire at you if you keep telling me to obey these authorities. And I just want to like, relax. Put the safety on. Yes, there are exceptions to God's command to submit to governing authorities. But before we focus on the exceptions, we need to humbly acknowledge that God has wisely commanded us to submit to governing authorities. And in most instances, humble submission is the wise thing to do because that is in keeping with God's good commands. But man... We sure love to rebel, don't we? We love to poke fun at our leaders. We like to think that we know better than they do. And this passage reveals that rebellious spirit in us. That there's a kind of attitude of arrogance towards authority that can bring danger upon us. Listen to verse 3. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause. So this verse describes two ways that we could react to a king's command. We could hastily storm out in defiance of his rule, or we could foolishly speak out against the king in favor of something evil. That storming out and speaking out can be sinful ways to object to earthly authority. And we're told, like, this is dangerous to do, guys. Be careful. For the king does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who can say to him, what are you doing? Remember, back then, kings were not elected leaders like our presidents and senators and governors. Kings ruled how they wanted to rule. And you could very easily find yourself in danger speaking out against the king. So it was very wise to keep your mouth shut. At least in most instances. And verse 5 says that if you do that, if you keep the king's command, no evil thing will come upon you, meaning you will have no trouble from the king. But we're still sitting there, locked and loaded. But, but, like we just, we want to say the but, so bad. So here it is. But what if the king commanded something wrong? What if we served under a wicked and selfish king? 
The author of Ecclesiastes is certainly aware such rulers exist. The Old Testament is full of evidence that God knows such rulers exist. And so what do we do then? Well, verses 6 through 8 are not as straightforward as we would like them to be, and certainly not as straightforward as this preacher would like them to be. But they seem to teach that we are to be humble before these imperfect leaders because all humans have limited knowledge and limited power. That yes, there are instances like our Old Testament reading where the three Jewish men needed to object to idolatry, but more often than that, we can arrogantly object to commands because we just simply don't like them. We just think they're unwise. You could do things a different way. Why are you doing that that way? It's not so much that rulers are commanding us to sin. They're just commanding us what we don't want to do and what we don't think is necessarily the right way to do things. When I think about this distinction, sometimes I think about loading the dishwasher. Because I don't know about you, but there is a right way to load a dishwasher. And though I may love people very dearly, we may disagree on exactly how a dishwasher is meant to be loaded. And I may feel strongly about this. You may feel strongly about how you load a dishwasher or not. But I am fairly certain that choosing to load a dishwasher in one way or the wrong way, or another way, sorry. And in either way, neither of those is sinful. Now, the pride about how you feel about it, that might be sinful. But the actual act of loading it a certain way is just a difference of opinion. And this seems to be the focus here in Ecclesiastes, not dishwashers, but the fact that governing authorities decide how much to tax and where that tax money goes. They get to decide who to ally themselves with and other nations around the world and when to go to war and what to support. And we may have very strong opinions on a lot of those things. But in a lot of cases, if not all of those cases, we are not being commanded to sin. We are serving under imperfect rulers who we must submit to. These seem to be the types of things that Ecclesiastes is talking about. Not the Daniel 3, we are commanded to commit idolatry, but just, gosh, that seems really dumb to me. Why are we doing that? That sort of stuff. And what he seems to be saying here is there's plenty of stuff we don't know. We don't know the future. We don't know how plans are going to play out. It can be really easy to criticize things with our perfect hindsight. Oh, you should have done something different. And no ruler in all the world throughout all of history has been able to guarantee the people he rules to have a life free from sickness, suffering, warfare, and death. We have yet to meet such a ruler that can do that for his people. And so we live in a world with only imperfect rulers whom God has appointed to rule over sinful men and women. And if that's what life is like, a whole bunch of sinners ruled by another sinner who is imperfect, all of whom don't know everything, then how are we to live wisely? Well, God commands us here in Ecclesiastes 8 and also in Romans 13 that we are to submit to our governing authorities. 
trusting that God Himself has established them for our good. Yes, sometimes they act selfishly and wickedly, but sometimes we also arrogantly rebel against them and their authority in ways that where we are sinning. And we need to know the wisdom to know the difference. And the only place that wisdom can come from is from the Lord, the only perfect ruler, the only one who is always right, the one who in fact has set up earthly rulers for our good. But here's the thing, when we start looking to the Lord instead of just our earthly rulers, if we are tempted to question the commands of our earthly rulers when we disagree with them, and we're like, man, I don't think you're that great. If we're tempted to feel arrogant and think we know better, that arrogance transfers over to God as well. And we start to question the way God is ruling the world, thinking, man, what is he doing? What's he up to? Like, he should really be doing this instead. We can find fault with how God rules the world. And we may proudly confess, gathered in worship, that God is Lord over all the earth. But that doesn't always mean, God, you are Lord over all the earth, and we think you're doing a great job. It doesn't always mean the same thing. And Ecclesiastes 8 points out how we can be tempted to look at how God rules over all things and find fault. We see two pieces of evidence here that support our complaint against God. The first is in verses 10 through 11. We see that sometimes our rulers praise the wicked instead of punish them. That if the basic function of a governing authority is to uphold what is good and to punish what is bad, then a truly bad leader is one who reverses that. That's what he sees in verse 10. That the wicked went in and out of the city, meaning they had free reign to operate and do their wickedness. That's because they were praised for their wickedness instead of punished for it. And that praise extended even to proper burials, a way to honor them in spite of their evil deeds. When we see leaders doing the exact opposite of what they should be doing, we rightly criticize the leaders themselves that what they are doing is wrong. They are turning morality upside down. But it also makes us consider, hey God, if you appoint all civil authorities... Why do we keep getting bad ones? And why do they bad ones stay in power for so long? Like, sure, sinful rulers might praise the wicked, but why isn't God punishing them? God, why aren't you intervening when leaders seem to be turning things upside down? That's the concern in verse 11. If you look at that, it says, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Now, yes, the justice system moves slowly. It's addressing that. But it also speaks about our expectation of God. God, why aren't you moving faster? Why don't you? Why does it look like there's not a righteous God in control of all things who punishes the wicked? That when we see the wicked praised instead of punished, we're left thinking everything is meaningless. 
What kind of order is there at all? God, why have you given us authorities throughout history that seem to do this wrong when you're supposed to be setting them up for our good? And this piece of evidence leads us to complain against God and His authority. God, why do you do this? And he throws in a second piece of evidence that's a little different, and that's in verse 14. We read this. There are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. That phrase, to whom it happens, refers to circumstances. And so the author of Ecclesiastes sees the unfairness of the world. Specifically, how circumstances don't seem to affect us as we'd like them to. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do those people who are living to please God seem to suffer more than those who live wickedly? It doesn't make sense to us. He says it's all vanity. It makes the world appear disordered and meaningless. It makes it seem like God is not really in control if good people are suffering and wicked people are prospering. This is the issue we've been wrestling with in our adult Sunday school class on the book of Job. Why is this happening? God, what are you doing? We've seen it in earlier chapters of Ecclesiastes. It is here in the Bible and we are wrestling with it. Why does it seem that a righteous God is not rewarding those who are righteous? And we can ask those questions with a measure of arrogance that like, God, we know better than you. We look down on what you are doing. And we desperately want to find out why he's doing it. We want an answer. We want to know why. We desperately want to make sense of things. And the author of Ecclesiastes tells us he can't find the answer. No matter how hard he tries, no matter how much he seeks, he doesn't find. The phrase, we cannot find it out, is repeated three times in verse 17. That we search and we search, but there are some things we can't know. We cannot comprehend how and why God allows some to suffer and others to prosper. We cannot comprehend why God permits such wicked rulers to stay in power while good leaders seem so rare. And when we see the apparent disorder in the world and we can't figure out what God is doing, we are prone to arrogantly question God just like we would question our earthly leaders. We are tempted to think God is doing a poor job ruling the world. And then we are tempted to live how we want to live because we don't trust Him. We are tempted to rely on our own wisdom because what's the point of seeking His? That leaves us in a bad spot. But here's the deal. Where where our imperfect leaders... Our earthly leaders are imperfect and sinful. God is not. God is perfect and holy. Our earthly leaders can rule out of self-interest and wickedness. God always rules out of goodness and justice. Even if we can't figure out how. God only does what is good and right. So instead of figuring out what God is up to, the author of Ecclesiastes tells us, you're not going to find it out. So just know it's good. We need to learn to live under his authority, knowing it is good authority. And we do that by letting God shape how we think about the future and the present. 
He tells us what to think about the future in verses 12 and 13. He proclaims that there is hope of a judgment to come. That even those sinners who do evil and seem to prolong their life by evil doing, he is certain it will be well with those who fear God. That at that time in the future, it's not going to go well for the wicked. And yes, the world may seem upside down right now. Yes, we may want to blame God for the wickedness that is being praised rather than punished. But a day is coming in the future when God will surely judge the wicked. And just because that judgment has been postponed does not mean it has been canceled. Just because it has been postponed for now does not mean it has been canceled forever. God says judgment is coming. And with that future hope in mind, the author of Ecclesiastes points us to the present in verse 15. And he says, I commend joy. And you're like, joy? Have you looked outside recently? I mean, today's a bad example. It's a beautiful day. But have you looked at the world? Have you read the papers? Have you heard anything? How are you commending joy? He can commend joy because of that future hope. He can rejoice in the present with whatever good God has given him because he knows the end is good. The chapters in between now and the end may be filled with all sorts of drama and conflict and suffering and uncertainty, but I know on that last page, it all works out. And so I'm going to live today in the confidence of knowing the last page. That attitude is really, really hard. And what's nice is God gives us glimpses of it in action. Our Old Testament reading is a great example. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were Jewish men living in exile as obedient servants of a pagan king. They served this pagan king very well for years. They submitted to his authority, doing all kinds of things they probably didn't want to do. Yes, my lord. Yes, my lord. You know, doing all sorts of service, doing all sorts of things we would not want to do. But then a day came when Nebuchadnezzar commanded them to worship an idol that he set up. The repetition, you heard that again and again? He set it up. It's his fake God. They would not worship that fake God. They knew God required them to disobey that command. They knew that wickedness was being praised and the righteous were being threatened with death by execution. And yet, they still went towards that fiery furnace with strong faith. How could they do that? How could they boldly trust that even their execution would have a good ending? Well, they trusted in a God who had power not only over Nebuchadnezzar, but also over death. And yes, they didn't have the power to save their own lives. And yes, it sure seemed like Nebuchadnezzar had the power to take their lives. But you know what? That guy who thought he had the power to take their lives tried to exercise that power and kill them, and he found out he didn't have that power. He was overruled by a higher power. The Most High God who has power over life and death. Those three men feared God more than Nebuchadnezzar, and even though it looked like wickedness would win, it was well with them in the end. They even got promoted. Imagine that. And as great as their story is, we have something better. Instead of just an inspirational story of salvation, we have a very real and living Savior who promises us a good end. 
The Bible tells us of Jesus of Nazareth who did everything right, obeying all of God's commands, including obeying his civil authorities. He obeyed the authorities even when they were punishing him for his righteousness. He obeyed the authorities when wickedness was being celebrated and the religious leaders were shouting, crucify him. He submitted himself to the authorities and ultimately to the Father's will. And though he suffered greatly, there was a good ending. For on the third day, God again overruled the verdict of death and raised him from the dead. And though the authorities had executed him, guess what? He still lives and he still reigns over them. And he promises that all who trust in him will have salvation and share in his good ending. For though the world can look disordered and meaningless as the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper, a day is coming when all is going to be set right. When Christ will return and judge the earth in perfect judgment. And though we have rebelled against God's authority, we who believe in Jesus are promised forgiveness and salvation in Him who died for us. We may not be able to find out what God is up to today or tomorrow, but we know that last page. We know it will be well with those who fear the Lord. So let us humbly ask for His wisdom to live under His ultimate authority and under His delegated earthly authorities until the day when every authority on heaven and on earth and under the earth bows their knees and confesses with their tongues that Jesus alone is Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank You that You are ultimately in control. And though, Lord, with leaders throughout history, we are puzzled and confused why you let wicked ones rule longer and why we are called to submit in ways that we are, help us to trust your word. Help us to know that you know what we cannot know. That you know all that we cannot find out. And help us to be good citizens, first and foremost, good citizens of heaven, but also good citizens here on earth of America. Help us to love you, to love others. And to live in such a way that people would see we serve a good and gracious king. In Jesus' name, amen.